Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news shortly. And of course, our former ITN journo turned pundit Derek Dyson will be joining us throughout the show. Now, before we get stuck into it, we hope all of our listeners around the world have enjoyed the Christmas break and are looking forward to the bright moments in life that football brings in what can sometimes be a tricky world to live in. And while we do try to keep a weather eye on football around the world, this week we're going to close the year out reflecting on the men's and women's competitions we look at most closely. That is, of course, the domestic competitions in Australia and the top flight in England. So first up from 10 and Paramount Plus, the voice of football in this country, our friend Simon Hill will join us to reflect on what we've seen in the A-Legs so far and what he thinks we might see into 2024. Socceroos and Matildas will find their way in there as well. A third of the way through the men's competition, though, and nearly halfway through the women's, both of last year's premiers are off the pace and the finals aspirants are taking shape with half of last season's finalists currently in playoff contention. Crowds are generally up, but from what base? A few aberrations, a perfect time to reflect on the state of the game with Simon. Meanwhile, in a country where football is rarely less than in rude health, Martin Tyler will give us his broad sweep on the Premier League and a peek at the WSL. Last time we talked to Martin, he just finished his iconic three-decade tenure with Sky Sports, but he did bring us into his confidence off-air that he'd expected to be back, and back he is commentating on the international feed with Premier League Productions. We'll have a chat with Martin about how he thinks this helter-skelter season will shape out and what his thoughts are on the WSL edge. Uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, you're over there in Bangkok. Did you have a nice break before we uh, asked Derek how his, uh, his festive season's been? I did, yeah. Lovely Christmas uh, seasons. Greetings to you, Rob, and all our listeners. I hope uh, Christmas has been uh, full of joy and food and laughs, and uh, you'll we'll, um, usher in the new year with, with a lot of uh, football spirit. Um, it's always a fabulous time of the year, Christmas, but football never stops, does it, Rob? And with the AFC Asian Cup only days away, Socceroos Supremo, he made some big selections uh, for his AFC Asian Cup squad. Rob, why don't you give us the detail? Yeah, exactly. It uh, it was a, a big, big announcement when uh, when this one came through. We uh, we'd all been talking every pundit uh, in the country about whether the uh, the Socceroos uh, would feature Bruno Fornaroli's name in it, and, and he did. Now, um, Edge, uh, it is only a couple of weeks away. Why don't you walk us through Arnie's selections and and maybe your highlights of the squad selections? And you know, before um, we we uh, we go to our friend Derek, who's sitting there patiently. Maybe your best eleven from that from that uh, that squad. Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, let's have a look. For me, there was obviously three uncapped selections: uh, Patrick Esbeck, um, a midfielder; uh, John Irredale, a forward; and Gethin Jones, a defender. And Gethin Jones is the one that really shocked me. Um, but having done a little bit of research, um, I actually think he's in the frame to play. And I'll go through my best eleven in a moment. But why don't we just listen to Graham Arnold talk about Gethin Jones? Got another one, got another one. Gethin Jones this time to take the acclaim. Gethin is, is one that was uh, born in Perth. He lived there till he was eight years of age, nine years of age, before he headed back to the UK. And um, he's always wanted to play for Australia. He, he has played for Wales at junior level. Um, and, you know, as I said, when I went and watched him at Bolton Wanderers, he's, uh, I was very impressed with him. He's had the uh, privilege of playing with Harry Sutter before. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's uh, 
a great addition to the squad. Uh, obviously, with a Ryan Strain injury, it gave us that opportunity. At the very beginning of that grab, you heard him say, I got another one. I got another one. And what he's referring to is obviously he snuck uh, out of Wales, uh, Gethin Jones, just like he snuck out of Scotland, Harry Sutter and Martin Boyle, who've been so fantastic for the Socceroos. So, um, yeah, it, it, that one's a real, real interesting. He's a right fullback, and it's a, it's a position on the field, Rob, that the Socceroos have had a bit of trouble with. Um, Nathaniel Atkinson and uh, Franz Karasic played at the World Cup in that position, and really it was a bit of a weak link. So I think Gethin Jones, who's playing for Bolton Wanderers in League One, is a real chance to get some game time. And I'll go through my top, uh, uh, my, my sort of starting eleven in a moment. But, but the other highlight for me, Rob, was that form was rewarded. Bruno Fornaroli. It's the feel-good selection. We'll talk to Simon Hill about it in a little while. But um, his weight of goals has got him in the t- in, in, the, in there. Um, Sam Silvera, who's having an unbelievable run at Middlesbrough, and Cassini Yengi, also in good form. Uh, those players have been selected. They're great highlights. But my um, starting eleven which I think will do the, the power of the work uh, for the Socceroos at the Asian Cup. Obviously, Matty Ryan selects himself. He'll recover from that broken cheekbone without too many problems. Um, Aziz Bates will play. Obviously, Graham plays a 4-3-3. Aziz Bates will play on the left. And I think um, Gethin Jones will get the starting nod on the right-hand side. I think um, they wouldn't pick him unless they're going to play him. Um, I think he's probably ahead of uh, Nathaniel Atkinson. Um, uh, Kai Rolls and Harry Sutar, who did so fantastically at the World Cup, they'll get their chance again. And I think the midfield's really interesting. Aidan O'Neill and Conor Metcalf, I think, are ready to, to step up into the mantle of those holding sixes now that Aaron Moy has moved on. And obviously, Jackson Irvine's going to play a big role in that sort of forward attacking midfield position. And then the, the front three pick themselves, don't they, Rob, um, if they're fit? Uh, Craig Goodwin is just in a streak of form for... Wada in uh, in Saudi Arabia. He's scoring goals every week. Mitch Dukes had a fabulous season uh, in Japan. Uh, and Martin Boyle, uh, we know he's uh, electric and one of our most significant uh, players uh, went on form. And that's my starting 11 for the Socceroos at the Asian Cup. Okay. Well, it'll be interesting to hear uh, Simon's thoughts as well when we talk to him. And uh, I guess when we come back in the new year, we're going to take a break after this show and uh, resume back on the 8th of January. That'll be uh, the top talking point. You'll probably have moved from uh, Bangkok to Qatar by that point. So uh, uh, so we'll, um, we'll we'll pause on that and, and pick it up when we when we resume in the new year. But uh, uh, some exciting selections there from uh, from the great Arnie and hopefully some of these names that we're seeing in the squad are, are names we can bank our future on. Derek, uh, happy well, Merry Christmas to you and a, an early Happy New Year. How are you, mate? Yeah, doing very, very well. Thanks, Rob. Excellent, mate. And now, like, there's a, a top story here before we get into the, the game, but this this has been sitting on the on the back burner. But finally, over Christmas, I think it was Christmas Day in Australia, uh, the announcement that Manchester United finally reached an agreement with Sir Jim Ratcliffe to acquire a 25% stake in the club for a little over a billion pounds. He's a Manchester-born uh, chairman of a petrochemicals company, international petrochemicals company, Ineos, and says that he says, you know, it's been said before, he's a lifelong United fan. The deal will take. 
it will include a 236 million pound investment in the club's uh, stadium, uh, Old Trafford. Which uh, who would have ever thought that it was uh, looking tired? But but it is. It comes 13 months after the Glazer family expressed an interest in offloading a portion of the club, which they bought for 790 million pounds in 2005. So, what's your take on this? Is this finally the the club getting back to its roots? Uh, did we uh, see uh, uh, in this morning's game our time the comeback win against Aston Villa a sign that uh, that the club is getting back its mojo? I think a half time of that game, Jim would have been or Sir Jim would have been wriggling in his seat a little bit. Such was the uh, the poverty of Manchester United's first half display. Um, they've done this a few times this uh, season though. They when they're good, they can be very good, and I don't think that's necessarily the issue. And obviously, we, we have Martin Tyler coming on the show a little bit later, and I'm going to put to him, you know, has, has Jim Radcliffe still got to really sort out the post-Ferguson legacy? Because, to be honest with you, it doesn't feel like that they have made much progress since uh, the great Scott uh, left uh, Salford. So, um, look, it's not good news for Man United fans. I think the thing that they need to bear in mind, though, is... The Glazers still own 75% of the club in any business that I am aware of. The people that have the majority stake still call the shot. So I'll be really interested to see just how much autonomy uh, Sir Jim, Sir David Brailsford and a bunch of other people will have in turning this ship around. Yeah, the Glazers do have uh, a, an uncanny knack of uh, maintaining control and uh, and and hoovering uh, a, a stack of money out of the club, and uh, those uh, those numbers seventy five percent suggest that um, that might go on for a little while yet. We'll talk more about uh, uh, the uh, the Premier League, uh, the matches that we've seen over the past few days with Martin when we talk to him, but. Uh, as you would have expected of me, uh, Liverpool, a not-so-comfortable 2-0 win over Burnley. There were times where, watching that game, I thought that uh, they might have slipped on that banana peel, but they trail Arsenal uh, with, well, uh, I should say, Arsenal are trailing and have two games in hand. So you would expect that that will measure out uh, in the fullness of time. And Chris Wood, uh, a very understated hat-trick uh, uh, in his return to St James's Park uh, for Nottingham Forest in their 3-1 win over a struggling Newcastle. So we'll talk to Simon a little bit more about that. And, and some puzzling news that came out in the past week. Brisbane Royal Manager Ross Aloisi has left the club just eight months into a two-year deal, taking up a role on Kevin Muscat's coaching staff at Shanghai Port. Uh, Aloisi worked with Muscat at Yokohama F. Marinos before he signed with the Roar in April and led them to a maiden Australia Cup final. He says the opportunity presents it aligns with his personal journey and goals as coach. Uh, Brisbane have appointed Luciano Trani as the interim boss. It, it's, surely this is disappointing. I mean, uh, you know, what, what's going on here uh, for him to finally, you know, get the, the top job at a club in the domestic top flight and then no sooner has he got his uh, seat warm than, than off he goes. Oh, it's money, Rob. It's got to be. Look, this is, this is a market, you know, and, and the A League is, um, you know, Brisbane Raw. Wow, you know, we talk uh, we talk about uh, clubs that are, you know, uh, we talk about Newcastle and Perth without owners a lot. We talk about the fortunes of Macarthur and Western United in terms of low crowds, but Brisbane's not not out of the woods. They're not financially flush, so there's not a lot of money for these uh, coaches. And oh, I just expect Ross's he's got a, a family to consider and a career to consider, and I'd say that. Um, the offer to go to China is a big money one for him. And uh, why would you be critical of anyone making that decision? So your logic is if he lost three games in a row, they'd sack him anyway. So you might as well uh, retaliate first. Pretty much.
Yeah. Okay. On the pitch, A League round nine, Perth Glory cracked their, cracked their first win in six with a thrilling gum from behind. Effort against MacArthur from 2 0 down. It was 35 year old David Williams, one of the great A League journeymen, sealing the win in the 95th minute in front of the shed. A League women's Melbourne City remained top after winning the Christmas derby against Victory 1 0. Amina Ekic on the score sheet. Perth Glory losing ground on the leaders after a 1 0 loss to Western United. Now, Edge Soccer is a Matilda Central for the Grand and Gold Army. Is it too late to get on board with the, uh, the the uh, the Uzbekistan tour? No, not at all. Um, it's not too late even to get a last-minute Guernsey to the Asian Cup tour, or um, you know, get yourself organised to come to Uzbekistan, which is going to be a sensational trip. Mm. Uh, the Silk Road history and all that uh, Tashkent and Samarkand offer for mm-hmm. for that combined. We're seeing the Matildas in a do-or-die cutthroat first leg away qualifier in Tashkent. It's going to be something mm-hmm. to behold. So yeah, go to ggarmy.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, find out all the information and get in contact with the team and we'll gladly uh, organise for you to come along and join us. Excellent. All right. Well, we've looked at the Asian Cup squad already in detail, but uh, uh, one thing we do need to reflect on, Edge, is the, uh, the career of Maslawongo. He announced his international retirement and ruled himself out of the tournament. As a 22-year-old, he forged his reputation as a player of the tournament in our 2015 triumph on home soil. He scored the opening goal. It was an absolute against South Korea in the final. He spent the past five years in the international wilderness. We've been tracking him and uh, uh, and just wondered where it was all going for him. He just returned to the setup and was uh, probably, you know, I think in the squad, wasn't he, Edge, uh, for Qatar, but he decided that um, the quest for promotion uh, to the Premier League with uh, Ipswich Town is his priority, which uh, I guess using your logic with uh, with Ross Aloisi, if he goes to the Asian Cup and the uh, the championship doesn't stop down, uh, he's just rebuilt his club career. Um, he uh, he needs to make the best decision for himself. So Luongo made 41 appearances for Australia, scored six goals. So, um Look, I don't think he'll go down as one of the all-time greats, but he's he's in that top tier of of outstanding players that that had a good international career. I'm going to celebrate him a lot in stoppage time, Rob. Massimo Longo is a modern-day soccer hero. He well and truly was the player of the tournament in the AFC Asian Cup in 2015 uh, mm. when we held the trophy a lot, a lot. And uh, that, for me, means that he's right up there with all of the famous Socceroos because he delivered our only trophy. Now, um, I think Massa's made a decision here because of the calendars. I think his club said, mm-hmm. we need you because we're, we're Premier League bound and you're a full-time professional and that's where you, you earn your money. Um, we just don't approve of you heading over to play for Australia in the Asian Cup for a month. I think that's what it comes down to. And I think Mass had to make an extremely difficult decision. It's ended his career, international career as a socceroo. Uh, and I don't... Um, I don't uh, I'm critical. I'm not critical of him in any way, um, and this is a calendar issue. And the AFC uh, on shows, I know they launched this massive reform uh, review agenda at their recent uh, meeting ahead of the Club World Cup in Jeddah. So let's hope they sort out the calendar so people like Massimo Luongo don't have to make that decision whether to play for Australia or play for their club, because obviously the Asian Cups um, held at a time when it's not in FIFA approved window. Yeah, exactly. And and look, who knows? Ipswich Town get promoted. He stays in the squad. They do reasonably well. 
yet can reverse uh, retirement as quickly as announcement announce it. But if he doesn't come back, um, thanks for the memories, Must You've been outstanding. Okay, the English Women's Super League is on its winter break until January 20, but there were still Aussies on fire in the Women's Champions League. Sam Kerr hit the net for Chelsea in a 3-1 win over Harkin. They top Group D with two to play, while Ellie Carpenter played a full match for Leon in their two-all draw with Brun. Would you believe, however, that we've just got to the point where we're taking for granted these massive uh, crowds that the Matildas draw these days that, you know, in days gone by, the Matildas selling out 50,000 seats at a stadium would be the lead item and we'd be celebrating it. But they tend to sell out everywhere they play. So uh, if you haven't got a ticket, you'll be watching it on TV for the Uzbekistan home match. Uh, Maybe people would be better off edge um, spending their money and uh, buying an airline ticket and going on your tour. You you could probably sort them out for a ticket over there, uh, uh, at the uh, at the the home leg for the Uzbekis, uh, certainly could. That's a good idea. Rob. <laughs> All right. Well, listen. Let's wrap it up. Uh, we've got Simon Hill to to talk about uh, the A League, the, uh, the the A League women's and men's, of course, as well as the soccer. Is uh, will stick around. That is next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. And as we go to where, we're about... A third of the way through the men's A-League season and about two-thirds of the way through the women's. The the playoffs are starting to take shape, but uh, unfortunately for the two premiers of last season, neither of them at this early stage are in contention and the man who watches it as closely as anybody in this country is our next guest from 10 Paramount Plus and a number of other media outlets is our good friend Simon Hill. How are you, Simon? Very good, guys. Merry Christmas to you. And a Merry Christmas to you too as well, my friend. It's a great time to be a football supporter, isn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on. Obviously, we've got, uh, you know, the A-League's men's and women's uh, on at the moment. And we've got the Asian Cup about to start for the men in January and Olympic qualifiers for the Matildas, Olympics next year. So, yeah, there's always a fair bit going on in the world of football. So the A-League, let's start with the men, Simon. Uh, There's been a a significant shift from last season to to this season. I mean, who, who would have predicted that not only were Wellington Phoenix going to change coaches, but they'd be sitting on top of the ladder going into the new year, that uh, the uh, the whole landscape of, of the, the men's top six would be fundamentally shifted in a lot of ways. Sydney FC, Steve Corrick is no longer uh, the, the manager. Um, are, are there any elements of what we've seen so far at the beginning of the men's season that you know, a, 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 a pundit would have predicted um, ahead of the season? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I, look, I'm certainly one of those who didn't think Wellington Phoenix would be top of the ladder, so congratulations to them. Um, obviously, we're only a third of the way through the season, but uh, you know they've done very, very well. Uh, Giancarlo Italiano deserves a lot of credit for what he's done, uh, particularly on the back of you know taking over from Wolfgang Talley, who did such a great job before him. And Really, he's not had a great budget to be able to spend on a lot of players during the off-season. I think he's only brought in two. Uh, and out of those two, only Mohamed Altay is, is actually playing at the moment. So he's made great use of the resources made available to him, uh, limited though they are. Uh, when you look at the makeup of the top six, I guess you could probably predict that the Wanderers were going to be there uh, on the back of what they did last season. They look strong again. Um I think many of us probably predicted that Melbourne Victory would not have uh, as poor a season as they did last year. So that's 
maybe no great surprise that they're out there challenging. But uh, yeah, it's in the bottom half of the table, I suppose. Melbourne City, Central Coast Mariners, uh, two grand finalists last year, uh, have really struggled. But of course, they've lost lots of players. And um, Sydney FC are uh, probably the greatest surprise, given that they won the Australia Cup and looked so good and uh, just have not been able to translate that into form in the league as yet. And I know you're just going to sort of dive deep into some of the, the, the form lines that you talk about, but more broadly from a game health point of view, we seem to be seeing a, a two-speed economy here more so than ever before. One minute I see you tweeting about a sellout at, at Amy Park and the next minute we're, we're barely getting thousands in for some of the expansion sides. Uh, what's your take on all of that? Yeah, well, there's still a lot of work to do. Um, and, you know, those those sellouts uh, are in the big derby games, which shows that the appetite is still there. Um, but it's getting those fans to turn up week in, week out, which is problematic. And you're right that, uh, you know, some of the clubs at the other end of the spectrum are, are dragging the chain a bit. Um, you know, Western United, MacArthur, the two expansion sides, even though the Bulls, I must say, have shown little signs of improvement over the last few weeks. They're, they're small games, but, uh, you know, it's moving in the, the right direction at least. Um, but, you know, maybe it's a, a good indication that our expansion process was not was not what it should be in the past. And I, I hope we've learned those lessons. Um, you know, I'd like to see a more structured approach to, to expansion. Now, I know we're going to Auckland next season, maybe Canberra as well. Uh, if those markets are to be a success, I hope they've done their due diligence and not just dropped a team because, well, there's a million people there. Um, or the fact that perhaps we, we need to have a team in the Australian capital. I, I hope that the research has been done and that the football communities on the ground in those places are fully engaged with the clubs. Um, uh, you know, the, the thing that worried me slightly about Auckland was the announcement. And I know it's Bill Foley who's bought the license and I know he's got a profile in the Premier League and in the States because of, you know, the clubs he owns there. But, you know, just, just the wording of of, uh, uh, of the press release about, you know, uh, Bill Foley has awarded the license. Um, well, we all know that it was Bill Foley who put the money up, but it's Auckland. That's the club. It's not Bill Foley's club, even though he's paid for it. You know, it's it's a club that is supposed to be for the football community of Auckland. And I hope that's not a sign of things to come, that it's just going to be, you know, one man's play thing. Because if it is, it, it won't work. And, you know, we've seen that evidence across the board quite a few times in, in the A-League's history. So, yeah, there, there, there's a lot of work to do, but um, there are just the odd occasions where we see those glimpses of light at the end of the tunnel, the Melbourne Derby being one at the weekends, and you think, you know, it's still there. The fans will turn up when they want to. We've just got to persuade them to come a bit more often. Simon, you make a really good point about uh, the Bill Foley and Auckland stuff, um, because it does have a similar sort of feeling to the way MacArthur and Western United entered the competition. Um, You know, we had... um, Auckland City play in the Club World Cup just in the last couple of weeks and I just wonder if they were ever considered as a, as a possibility an existing club with existing roots in the community that might have a, a nucleus of a, a foothold to grow from rather than just jettisoning in a, a club from the outside and you know, I mean I just 
curious about uh, those types of things? Well, my mail is that they were very much part of the process initially. Uh, but I think they were probably scared off by the money that was being asked for for the license. Um, and obviously, running a club in the A League is, you know, hugely expensive, particularly when you're based out of New Zealand because you've got an awful lot of travel to deal with. Um, so maybe they felt that their interests were better served. And there's not a lot of people in Australia know about this, but you know, the new Oceania Professional League is is going to start up in I think 2025 or 2026. And so they basically got the option of, or had the option of either or, and maybe they feel as though the Oceania League is, you know, is a better pathway for for them and their players because they'll be a dominant force in that league, no doubt about it. Um, there's guaranteed probably qualification for, you know, FIFA uh, tournaments at, at club level. Um, so, uh, you know, it was obvious that they were looking you know, as specifically as a, as a franchise for an owner that that had the cash. And look, this is nothing against Bill Foley, of course. You know, it might well work. I, gee, I hope it does. Um, but you, you just, you want it to be engaged with the local football community. And I, I think that's sometimes a mistake that we've made in the past. And, you know, Western United were brought in for slightly different reasons. You know, they promised... Uh, a new stadium, which would have and still could be a game changer for the game in this country, and you know I'm, I'm excited by that if it happens. But you know it's it's gone on way too long. It should have been built by now, or at least started. So you know, with, what are the KPIs um, that are being put in front of Bill Foley? Is it just pay your money and uh, you know let's go from there, or? Is there a proper structured plan to grow the club, grow football in the region and attract the supporters that they will need uh, to be able to be successful? And I, I just worry sometimes that those latter things that I talked about are uh, seen as a, a lesser consideration and uh, it's a problem. Well, you raised Western United. Just If I just bundle in MacArthur in the same question here, um, the head office A-League people, they must be concerned at the lack of popularity, even though MacArthur is you know, currently heading into the new year as in fourth on the table, um, having a reasonably good season. But the metrics off the field, you know, support, membership, attendances, viewing audiences, um, the head office must be really concerned about the health of MacArthur and Western United. But here's the, here's the bigger question, Edge. Who who is the head office? Because I don't know. Who's you know now? Danny Townsend has has left. Um, I don't know who the spokesman is for the APL. Uh, is it Stephen Conroy, who's the, who's the chair of the of the board? Is it uh, Nick Garcia, who? And along with another guy whose name escapes me, and I don't mean that to be disrespectful. I've genuinely forgotten. Um, they have taken over Danny Townsend's job, but I, I haven't heard or seen them speak publicly other than at the season launch where Stephen Conroy spoke as well. But there, there is a bit of a vacuum of, I'm not saying there's a vacuum of leadership because I don't know, but there's certainly a, a, a void of a public voice at the moment from the APL. So nobody really knows what they're thinking. Uh, I, I'm one of those people who would like the APL to put KPIs in front of some of their clubs, particularly the underperforming clubs. 
um, and challenge MacArthur and Western United and one or two others, by the way. And I'd include Melbourne City in that, given you know their success down the years. They, their crowd should be way bigger than they are at the moment, derbies aside. But th- there just doesn't seem to be um, any way of <laughs> knowing really uh, who the you know the major voices are at the APL at the moment. So, look, I, I tried to get Stephen Conroy on my radio show uh, last week to have a chat about all this sort of stuff. Now, Stephen uh, unfortunately couldn't do it because they had a board meeting that night. Now, what was the outcome of the board meeting? What what were they discussing? Um, what problems were being put on the table? What solutions were being offered? Nobody knows. Because it's all it's all being done behind closed doors, and because there's not money football media left, uh, you know the, the questions being asked are few and far between. So I think it's a real problem. It's it's ultimately it's counterproductive for the APL if they're not being held to account for what's happening in the competition. So are we making progress? Um, I think in some ways, you know, I mean the crowds, if you look at it, are slightly up this season. Um, that's in the men's competition. In the women's, of course, they're up, uh, well, over 100%. But with the caveat that what was the base? Because I, I don't know what the average crowd was in the, in the early women's last season. If, it, if I do know, you know, the limited uh, available information, it's probably around 1,500, I think, maybe slightly less than two. So, you know, we're starting from a low base with the women's. And obviously, that's heading in the right direction, which is encouraging. Um, and the men's is going in the right way by a much smaller percentile. Now, crowds are not the only barometer of success, of course. Uh, there's TV ratings as well, which you know still remain on the small side. Let, let's be brutally honest about it. Uh, there's still a bit of a lack of visibility around uh, the competition. Okay, they're looking to expand next year, which is great, but we've still got two clubs that, are on the market, Perth Glory and Newcastle Jets, who've been without an owner now, well, will be in January for three years. Now, that's that's a concern for me. If we had 12 good, stable, uh, financially wealthy owners with uh, you know long-term visions of where they want both their clubs and the league to go, I'd be a lot happier. But uh, uh, at the moment, it's it's all a bit of an unknown. and. The only other thing that we know that happened last week is that Paul Lederer stood down from the APL board to be replaced by Rob Morrison of, of Wellington Phoenix. So, you know, did he jump? Was he was he pushed? Had he had enough? Uh, is he irritated by some things? Has he just got too much on his plate? I mean, you know, just nobody knows the answers to these these questions, and they're they're very difficult to get answers. Absolutely, Stephen Conroy. Um, please uh, come out and uh, answer some of these questions. You are the chair and the leader of that organisation, and we need the fans. Um, you know, we need to know what you're thinking and what the plans are. Um, let's talk about on the field for a moment. Uh, Jamie McLaren was not selected for the Socceroos to go to the AFC Asian Cup. This left only four players in the Socceroos squad out of the A League: two goalkeepers, uh, Gauchi and Thomas, and then Aziz Bach and. Bruno Fornaroli, is his bait. He's a regular starter. He's a very good performer. Um, he selects himself, really. We know he's come back at this time of his career to be in Australia after being away a long time. Um, but the real good news story was the form of Bruno Fornaroli was rewarded. And um, 
that's just fantastic, isn't it? Look, it is, and I'm delighted for Bruno. Um, he's a great character. He's you know proven himself over many years in the A League, and I must confess, you know, I was one of those people. And it's no disrespect to Bruno, but just because by virtue of his age and his and Victory's performances last season, I, I thought that time had, had caught up with him. Um, I'm pretty sure I wasn't alone in that assessment, but uh, boy, has he proved me wrong. He has been absolutely sensational this season. He looks super fit, uh, super motivated. Maybe he, you know, he saw this Asian Cup as a, a as a realistic goal for himself and thought, well, this is my last chance to play in a, a major tournament at international level, so I've got to go for it. And uh, he deserves his spot. Now, it it may well be that he's helped a little bit by the fact that Matt Leckie and Brandon Borello are both unavailable, of course, through injuries. Um, but uh, I'm sure he won't care. He's on the plane, so good luck to him. And he's, he's the goals he's been scoring, I mean, he's a very experienced player. He gets in the right places a lot of the time, and he, he does get a lot of his, uh, what I call the, you know, the, 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 the easy strikers' goals, but he's also scored a bunch of just pure class goals and a couple of them world-class. So uh, let's hope, um, you know, I'm not sure whether he'll play any role over there Probably depends on injuries and suspensions, I think. But um, if he does play, I, I hope he has a lot of fun and scores. I'd love to see him score for the Socceroos. It would be would be brilliant. Yeah, likewise. And uh, you know, he offers something a little bit different as well to the likes of Mitch Duke, uh, uh, Cassini Yangi, who, who've also been selected. Uh, Bruno's, you know, very much that back to goal striker. You can play the ball up to him, and and he can hold it up. He's strong. Uh, he can set up goals as well as. Uh, score them. So I, I think he's a good option for, for Graham Arnold to have. Uh, obviously, you know, he's probably not going to make the World Cup in North America in 2026 because that's still a couple of years away. But um, he, he deserves this chance. If, if Arnie's true to his word about selecting players on fitness and form, then, uh, you know, Bruno's an automatic choice. Last one for me, Rob, then I'll, um, then I'll hand back to you. Um, I always look for little nuggets. I mean, there's a lot of players in the Socceroos squad that have um, been bred by the A-League and it's performing its role in creating new opportunities for young talent. But one player that has stood out to me is the um, the low-resourced Newcastle Jets. They've un- they have un- found a uh, what I think is a bit of a nugget, Clayton Taylor. Tell us about how much he's excited you by calling the games at Newcastle and you know um, how good could he be? Yeah, look, Clayton's uh, uh, emerged onto the scene very quickly. And, um, uh, you know, I didn't know an awful lot about him, to be honest. He was at Sydney FC as a junior. Uh, didn't break through into the first team. I, I spoke to a colleague of mine on my radio show, Alex Molchanoff, who calls a lot of MPL New South Wales games. And, and he even he's been a little bit surprised as to how well he's taken to the competition. He said he was one of those players who could come up with, you know, something of brilliance one week, but then disappear for a couple of weeks. Uh, and that consistency is obviously going to be a challenge for all young players. But uh, you know, maybe he's thriving on the responsibility given to him by Robbie Stanton. He's clearly pretty much a first-choice pick. Um, and again, he can set up goals. He can score them. Um, you know, he can play anywhere, really, along the front four. He operates largely on the left. Um, but I, I've been hugely impressed with him. One thing I really like about him, <clears throat> and I've, I've made this point a couple of times this season, He's a winger who's not afraid to take his defender on. And I don't think we have enough of those in the A-League. Uh, it's, it's very structured and 
But many teams are very robotic in, you know, they'll go so far down the wing and then they'll check and they'll turn back out and it's side to side, side to side. And Clayton Taylor has that directness that I that I really like. Um, it's early days, of course. It, he's nine games into his early career. So who knows where he could end up. But uh, he's got a bit of potential, that's for sure. And Simon, I just want to jump back before we let you go on uh, the, the women's game. So you referred already to, you know, the... Uh, the crowd's up 100%, but from what base and so on. There's a, there's a real disconnect, though, from what we're seeing with sell-out crowds at Matilda's, both in Perth, the uh, the Uzbekistan World Cup tie. It could have probably been held at the MCG and it still would have sold out. But the, that vast volume of people that are, that are prepared to shell out you know, fair ticket prices, it seems, these days, uh, they're pricing it at the, at the right price point. They still aren't prepared to go out in numbers. We had Tracy Holmes on the show last week, and you know, I just posed the question to her about the, you know, where do we draw the line with patience and growing, and what the promises of the legacy of the Women's World Cup were. Uh, are there things that that you're not seeing from, let's say, a media broadcast, publication, PR point of view that that we need to see to just step this up, or are we in danger of losing the opportunity at some point? It's a good question, um, and this is why people like me bang on endlessly about investment into facilities and stadiums. You know, th- th- there's been a big deal, and rightly so, made about the Matilda selling out, uh, tw- I think it's 12 consecutive games in Australia. And that's brilliant, don't get me wrong. But guess where we're playing the next game? It's a- an AFL stroke cricket stadium. You know, where, where is the investment in our sports? Because at some point, this bubble will burst. Uh, now, we saw this with the Socceroos. 2005, when they qualified for the World Cup, first time in 32 years. And on the eve of them going to Germany, I remember calling an international friendly against Greece at the MCG, and there was close to 100,000 people there. You could not move for fans. Tim Cahill, Mark Baduka, Harry Kuehl, Mark Schwarzer, Lucas Neal, they were all household names, just like the Matildas have become over the last 12 months, which is brilliant. Now, the longer-term picture for the men's game, did that help? I don't think it did, or at least not to the degree that it should have done if you're talking about proper legacies. And this is why I, I always had an issue with the legacy program, not that I don't think that you know Football Australia didn't intend for it to be a good legacy, but I don't think it was tangible enough, um, their aims. And I think a lot more pressure should have been put on governments. Maybe they tried. I don't know. But, you know, for example, you know, we, we talk about the Matildas selling out uh, Docklands. And on the same weekend that that sellout was announced, the A-League women played at Perry Park in Brisbane, where the stadium is essentially falling to pieces. Now, this is in a state where the former premier was actually an ambassador of the Women's World Cup. And they keep telling us, well, we spent $45 million on football. Yeah, but you've also spent $315 million on rugby league. Yeah. And you're about to spend $2.5 billion on redeveloping the Gabba, which will be used for AFL and cricket once the Olympics are over. So, you know, we have to continue to make these arguments. Otherwise, this peak that we're seeing at the moment, which is brilliant, don't get me wrong, will ultimately, uh, you know, fade away and we'll be left back at square one. 
And that is my fear, unfortunately. We've seen it happen with the men's game, not only in 2006, but on the back of the Asian Cup success in 2015 with Ange Postacoglu as well. The longer-term gain remains elusive. And, of course, what the mainstream media have done as well is they very cleverly conflated the Matilda success with successful women's sports. So a lot of investment has gone into, in inverted commas, women's sports. In other words, translated, we get nothing, as per usual. And we've got to stop that. You know, if it's our success, we have to make sure that it's our legacy, not somebody else's. No, well said, mate. And, uh, I mean, we, we could go on. We'll have to wrap it up uh, now. But uh, uh, that na- man's name who we've mentioned already in this conversation, you brought him up, mentioned him as well, Stephen Conroy. If there's one particular legacy that a former Labor Party senior politician uh, needs to, to leave with a Labor Party government in place is that infrastructure piece. So uh, we'll, we'll probably pick that up on, a, on another occasion. So, hey, mate, we'll let you go now. Um, all the best for the new year, my friend. Your podcast, The Global Game, is back early in the new year. Is it the 9th of January? Yeah, it's back It's back on the 9th. I'll, I'll be in Qatar for the Asian Cup. So, uh, Edge, I'll, I'll be shouting you a, a very strong mineral water at some establishment. Oh, I look forward to that, Simon. <laughs> Me too, mate. Have a great new year. Safe travelling, mate. Enjoy enjoy Qatar and we'll talk to you when, when, when you get back. Okay, stick around. Next on Box to Box, we're going to talk to Martin Tyler. Uh, it's uh, just a, a wonderful time of year to be watching the Premier League, uh, especially if you're an Australian fan and you follow a club or if you've got a second club, which might be Spurs. Uh, it is incredible. We'll talk to Martin Tyler next on Box to Box. <laughs> It's Chemist Warehouse time, gentlemen, so it's time to stock up and save right now with half price off the Wagner Vitamins. Now, Edge, is your stockpile starting to diminish? Uh, do you need a top-up, mate? No, no, it was, my stockpile was so large that it uh, it's going to sustain me for quite a while, Rob. Excellent. That's good to hear, my friend, because for those who haven't, there's Wagner Super Biomagnesium 100 tablets for just $6.99 and Wagner Vitamin C 250 chewable tablets just $9.99. Wagner Glucosamine and Chondroitin 200 capsules for $17.49. Derek, are your uh, uh, limbs feeling a bit creaky uh, playing in that... Uh, that uh, Hillsville Premier League futsal tournament because that glucosamine in Chondroitin might help. Feeling a bit achy after a day in the garden today, Rob. Uh, marching up and down the hills uh, with the lawnmower and the strimmer and everything else. So, yeah, I feel like I could do with some of that. Chemist Warehouse, they are making it easy for you to get your essential items. In addition to visiting your local Chemist Warehouse store, order online and click and collect to save time or choose fast delivery for same-day home delivery. T's and C's and charges may apply. Chemist Warehouse, the great savings are every single day. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. Just chatting with Simon Hill there about the, the health, which can be a bit of a roller coaster of football in, in this country, but uh, over in the UK, it's never less than uh, a, a banquet of, uh, of football. And uh, at a time where we're all celebrating Christmas and festive themes, uh, we welcome our good friend uh, and the voice of this show, as he has been since uh, we've our very uh, first episode in 2015, Martin Tyler. How are you, Martin? And, uh, and a Merry Christmas and an early Happy New Year to you. Yeah, compliments of the season to you all and to all your listeners. Um, delighted to be talking to you again. And um, 
yeah, it is the time of year that uh, I, I have a lot of anniversaries in December. Um, and this year, um, on tomorrow, our time, I'm doing um, Brighton versus Tottenham, and that's 49 years to the day of my first ever television commentary. Um, back on um, before Christmas, on the 19th of December, it was 70 years since I went to my first game ever, which was at Woking Football Club. And I went there. They kindly invited me to have a little chat on their website about those 70 years. And um, on the Boxing Day yesterday, um, I think 55 years ago, I made my debut in, in proper football in a, in a cup tie. Um, played on a frozen pitch, actually. Played on frozen pitches on those days. So it's a nostalgic time, but it's also a time to aware of the present and what's going on and um, the remarkable season we're having here in our Premier League. Yeah, it sure is. And I, I was listening to, to Henry Winder chatting to you uh, on Talk Sport about uh, some of those anniversaries. If I, as one representative of this entire football nation who uh, you've given so much uh, happiness and joy to over the years, whether you're commentating on the Socceroos in World Cups or whether you listen to your calling uh, games in the Premier League, uh, thanks uh, for everything that you've done so far. But uh, I did mention off the top of the show that um, we, we spoke to you off air last time uh, we, we chatted with you that you just finished with Sky Sports and you, and you gave us a little hint uh, that we needed to keep quiet, that you, you were uh, in, um, booked to come back um, within uh, two weeks after that last chat and, uh, and we're, we've been loving uh, your work, mate. You're in as fine a form as you've ever been. Well, that's very kind of you. It was a bit nerve-wracking at first, really, sort of health worries I'd had in my entire career, so it shows how lucky I've been. But we've been able to solve it. They um, we have a wonderful National Health Service here and um, they took me under their wing and um, pushed me out the other side saying, go on, get on with your life. <laughs> and I'm doing with, I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky to have a, a life that I'm going to get on with. And, you know, huge, huge respect at this time of year for all the other issues in the world which we worry about on a daily basis. But, um, football is some sort of panacea. Yeah, football some sort of panacea that, that helps us all. Um, I'm delighted to play, continue to go play a tiny part in it. And, um, I'm blessed, really. Yeah, that, that, that is again similar to that point that we were talking about when we started this uh, this week's show. And, and, and to that point, uh, uh, Derek's going to sort of break down what uh, the season looks like so far and maybe some prognostications about what we can expect to come. But uh, again, you know, it wouldn't be an Australian football program if we didn't ask you about your views of uh, of uh, Ange Postacoglu. They had the, the start out of the gates. Um, they they had uh, the slows for a little while there where some of the, uh, the, 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 the doomsdays were saying, oh, well, it was always going to crash and burn, but they've corrected the ship now. So um, insofar as your observation of, of Postacoglu, he's already being hailed here as uh, as a, a pioneer that, um, that, that sits in the... Uh, the, the the pantheon of, of Australian sporting greats for what he's done so far, let alone uh, what, what may end. Uh, um, give, give us your reflections on what you've seen so far. Well, it could have been even better. The um, five games in which they drew one and lost four, that's the middle period you're referring to, I think I'm right in saying they're in the lead in all of those games. And um, so even in defeat, it's been... Um, Glorious to watch, I think. Um, one of my first games and when I returned to the microphone was the 4-1 home defeat to Chelsea. 
I can't really remember as such a margin of defeat at this level of the game in this country being heralded as um, such a sort of medal-winning, valiant, uh, heroic effort to try and turn, yeah, some of their problems, of course, were self-inflicted. The, the uh, red cards, the injuries weren't, and um, it was uh, it could have been 2-2, 9 against 11. Um, so that's one of the lower points, but it's obviously picked it up three wins in a row now. Going to Brighton, I can't wait for the game, to be honest with you, because um, Brighton have the same Cavalier approach and uh, it's heavy. Um, and Ant is obviously not going to change his ways. So um, it is uh, remarkable. I think one thing I would say to you guys is being Australian in our Premier League over here isn't quite um, seen as it just happens to be Australian. You know, we've had coaches from all around the globe come in and make it up. But with my Australia hat on, my, my SBS hat on, my box to box hat on, I would say that, um, you know, I can see it, how exceptional it is, and how welcome it is, because clearly, um, challenges for the world game, um, in your part of the Southern Hemisphere remain the same. And, um, yes, a trailblazer as an Australian for Australians, but over here, just seen as a very talented person um, who happens to have an Aussie accent. <laughs> so um, I think he's treated in a slightly different way, and, and, but, but obviously has made a massive impact. And do it with Harry Kane having been sold and it's worked out so well for both parties. Now he's having a time of his life uh, in the Bundesliga. So, um, so far, so very, very, very good. Yeah, you mentioned Harry Kane just then, uh, Martin, and Harry is, by all accounts, got his feet up at the moment because he's up in, he's in Germany and they're in their mid-season break and he's been saying and sort of taunting some of his England teammates and some of his friends that he'll be very much enjoying uh, the break. But obviously uh, the Christmas fixtures come uh, thick and fast over the next uh, few uh, weeks. Uh, Could you maybe just reflect for the Australian audiences in particular, just how special but also how hectic this period is and how it how it's kind of unique in terms of um, world football and then what it's like from your profession, just having to keep going through all of these games. Well, um, most of us have grown up with it, so we don't, um, we don't see it quite as... Um, Drastic, and uh, Harry obviously has a different perspective on it now, and I can understand that. And other players have gone, English players have gone and played in countries where there's a winter break, and we have a little bit of a break in January, relatively recently, with um, the weekend where only ten of the teams play, and they get the next weekend off, and the other ten play the next weekend. Um, but that's uh, around the uh, the FA Cup and the semi-finals of the League Cup, the Carabao Cup. So it, it's only um, a rest perhaps in name certainly for, for some of the truly elite players um, but when I was a kid um, we played on Christmas Day and of course you know the NFL play on Christmas Day you know, I, um, the reason the um, Christmas Day fixtures stopped I'm told was because the uh, trains didn't run anymore people couldn't get the game but now the trains don't run on Boxing Day anymore and actually at times in England the trains don't run at all on any day but that's another story um, the, um, so, 
it is it is part of the folklore of football. Um, it's uh, the drama of, um, of Christmas, the family dramas. People like to get out and maybe get some fresh air and like no better way than watching their their local teams play. So um, it's it's not just uh, the top level. My coach in National League South, and we played yesterday at one o'clock kickoff on Boxing Day, and obviously checking the players, making sure that. They're, we stop a little bit short of taking a breathalyzer with us for the game, but uh, the sort of um, non-specific threat, <laughs> if you don't come in in good shape, um, it's a good game, uh, and, and, and up and down the country, we're now a wonderful pyramid. It's not just the Premier League that are out there entertaining. So we're used to it, we'd miss it, but I guess new generations coming through, they'll have their own view on it. Um, I think generally the game has an issue with, with Asking too much of the very top players. We we have got there's a, a website. I think it's called the treatment table where it lists the injuries that Premier League teams have. And it's too many, and, and obviously some of that is overuse, and not all of it, but some of it is. Uh, so that has to be looked at. Uh, I think on a regular basis, and I think the authorities are doing that, particularly the players' union, the PFA. Um, but we've had lovely weather. It's been 15 degrees on um, on Christmas Eve here, which is now winter is, is a bit of a treat. Um, and the games have all gone ahead, so it is it is a special part of our Christmas. And as a commentator, I wouldn't want not to be doing it. Someone who will be working really hard over the next few weeks and months will be Sir Jim Radcliffe. Uh, obviously, he's been out as now a 25% owner of Manchester United and at half-time during that Villa game uh, overnight for us here in Australia would have been not so easy sitting in his seat, uh, but obviously United came back and there was something more like a, a, a you know a Manchester United performance atmosphere in the stadium by the end. That being said, there's still a lot of work to do and I suppose ultimately Manchester United despite all of the different management changes, personnel changes, etc., haven't really moved on from the Sir Alex Ferguson era. In fact, probably gone, well, have gone backwards from then. Uh, is that still really the case in your view in terms of the difficulty in replacing such a generational manager? And have we seen other examples of this in your time covering the game of teams that have struggled to move on from a legendary manager? Yeah, I just, you just saw what Manchester United are at the moment. The two halves represented the, the two faces, if you like, of the, the football club. Um, this time it happened in one game and the, the, the better half was just about better than the, the bad half, if you see what I mean. They, you know, they, got, the, um, they got the crucial goal and, and it's, a, it's a great way to win a game, but you can't plan to do that because it doesn't happen um, that often. So I do think that, um, you know, the, it's a long time since um, the great Fergie stepped down. Of course, he's been there all the time, and, and rightly so. And, and he's had uh, health problems, and it's great to see that he's put that behind him, and he's, he's still very much... It, it, they have a little... Um, on one of the local radio stations here, they have a, a little guessing game as to which cutaways, we call them in television, the, the, the faces in the crowd, who's going to be seen. Um, and uh, 
Fergie shot is pretty happy. <laughs> pretty much every man in the game. Um, when he's there, he's always, always there. Um, Arsenal are probably the ones that you can say the same about. Um, with Arsene Wenger, great rival to Alex Ferguson, of course, as well. I'm not sure that we're going to get these lengthy periods of management anymore. I think everyone's it's a very high-pressured job. And, of course, as soon as the results, you're only going to lose three or four in a row. I mean, look at Eddie Howe's situation, for example. He's done an unbelievable job transforming Newcastle. Yes, the, the funds have allowed that to happen, but you can only do so much. You can't suddenly go with a bank check. It's a financial fair play. And now they've hit a kind of spell that Ange had um, when Spurs had those injuries and a couple of sunnies off. So, um, and now, you know, you're every headline, I'm sure, after yesterday's game, particularly with a former player coming back and getting a hat-trick. Yeah, um, one up for the Kiwis there with Chris Wood. And um, uh, so it, it, that's, that's the pressure that managers have to live under. So it's, it's, it's not easy. You can't change the players very easily. You can always change the manager. Um, but I think it's a bit more than that. I think it's, it's been some, um, things that haven't quite gone according to plan with those who've made the decisions in the last 10 years. And you know, everybody wishes to Jim Ratcliffe a, um, a happy entrance into, uh, into English football. There aren't that many Englishmen who have the resources to come into an English club. So I'm sure generally he'd be, he'd be welcome. His track record is pretty good. Um, and whether his presence inspired the second half, um, you'd have to ask the Manchester United players that. And one final one from me, Martin. Another story that's sort of come over the last week or so was the news around the, the European Super League and the uh, European Court of Sports Arbitration, I think it's called, sort of really opening the door again for that kind of uh, competition or that kind of business model to to rear its head again. I just wondered, given what the changes we're seeing in football, do you do you anticipate that you'll ever commentate on a European Super League game uh, at, at some point? Um, if, you know, will it will it happen that soon, or do you, and 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 how would you feel about that if you? had to commentate on something like the European Super League? Well, as a professional, I, I, I would have to do what, what I think is, is right. Um, um, as, a, as a commentator, as a fan, um, that might be a different opinion. Um, it, it's complicated, this, obviously, because it has reared ahead that people didn't want to see again. But my... Um, my personal feelings, are, I think, are relevant. I think the game has to look at every aspect of change. And I'm not in any way advocating this because it's a sort of pirate attempt to take over, really. I think working within the system is probably the way to do it. Um, but those, obviously, those clubs involved feel that working within the system hasn't got them very far. Um, the changes in the Champions League are going to be quite a... Um, quite a mouthful to devour, to be honest with you, um, anyway. So whether that, how should I say, makes the Super League seem slightly different, I think the, most of the fans of the, the Champions League think it's had a good model for a good period of time. 
it was weird to say I did the Porto de Shakhtar game, and it was weird to say this is the last group stage game. The last time we will be at this stage, it was match day six. It was a Wednesday rather than Tuesday. Um, that that we wouldn't be coming back to do it again. It, it, it seems to work pretty well for a year. So it's football politics. Um, they, those who have those mandates to run UEFA, FIFA, and those who want to um, have their say with the Super League, they've got to, I think, get around the table and see what can be done. It's no good for the game to have divisive issues. Um, it's such a wonderful sport that really um, it ought to be able to manage itself in a way that, that gives that listens to the argument of the Super League. But no, I'm certainly not advocating it because I don't think that that is the way to go. Because um, there are better routes than what they did, and um, they've got a long way back in in my mind, in most people's minds. Yes, without being too arrogant about it. Um, from the way they announced it the first time, and that was a raid on the football that we love and the structure that we've accepted. And I, I don't believe in that kind of. Was a, was a shocking PR exercise that whole uh, um, announcement last time around, and uh, and it sort of sends shivers up the spine to think that the same people are involved in, in this. And uh, your points are, are well made about uh, professionals and having to to do what we need to do, but uh, it's the way that it's done is is I guess the, the question that you you illustrate uh, uh, as you you respond to that one. I just want to change tack a little and, and ask you your general view on the, the women's game in uh, in the UK in England specifically with the women's super. League, uh, we've just been talking on the show uh, this evening about uh, about the the legacy program of the the Women's World Cup, where the Matildas, on the one hand, are selling out sixty and fifty thousand seat stadiums. You can't get a ticket, but uh, at the very same time, we're seeing a thousand, fifteen hundred people attend the A League Women's competition, and that's a hundred percent increase on the pre World Cup uh, season. So th- the question is, uh, are you? Um, prepared to make a, a pronouncement on the Women's Super League that it that it is crossed over legitimately into the mainstream and that um, and that football fans uh, traditional football fans as well as uh, those new to the game following the women's game are, uh, are prepared to, to 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 finally say you know what I'm prepared to go and watch this game this is this is a good game it's a different game to the men's game but uh, I'm prepared to watch this and support my club uh, if there's a woman in the the shirt of the club that I follow as much as well, maybe not as much yet as if there's a men but you know you take the point I think you're making it very complicated I think it's a wonderful thing um. Talent is considerable. Um, the interest will grow. And of course, Women's World Cup has played a big part in that. And the major tournament, obviously, the European tournament in England, um, was a massive success. And I would put alongside it the, the female broadcasters who are excellent. They know that they have to, and that they're broadcasting on the women's game and the men's game. They know they have to, um, not make any mistakes. They're, they're under real pressure to justify their place in the, in the pecking order of, of broadcasters and in the pecking order of, of footballers. They are footballers. The girls are commentators and I'm proud to share gantries with them. Um, it's the way forward. It's inclusive. And uh, I think in my relatively 
lengthy period um, in, if you like, in sport, I've come across some fantastic sports players, um, and uh, and they haven't had the, the platform to show their talent. The lady I knew very well, Rachel Hayho, in the cricket world, and I'm going back 40, 50 years. She was a super talented player, but a great person, and very much to sit around the same table as a any chauvinistic group she put in her place, in their place, I tell you. Um, so I'm right behind it. Uh, um, and we have, uh, I live near the Chelsea training ground. The, the Chelsea women's team is obviously very good and they play in a, uh, in a stadium that the club have bought to give them, give them a proper platform that television companies can cover the games. Uh, of course, it's not going to be, um, it's not going to be, initially the same as say Wimbledon where, where the women's final has as much attention as, as the men's final um, but it, it's got a chance of getting there and I believe that all of us who love sport and if you like love humanity as well should be doing their, our very best to make sure that these conversations don't happen in the future and I'm not disrespecting you for asking the question of course I'm not but, but, but it shouldn't be something that's, um, that's an issue you know it isn't in tennis Taking its time, the team kings of this world have had a huge part in that, and, and now the generation here are doing it. Your, your hemisphere and our hemisphere, and to make it work, yeah, commercially it's difficult. Commercially it's difficult for men's football, you know. Um, um, but we, but they usually find a way in sport because um, the result is worth the effort. The result is getting good league, good players, an opportunity um, for the girls to go and showcase their talents. It's slightly different, of course, and a physiological thing, we accept that. Serve and volley in the women's tennis game, not quite, it's not played like that happy with men anymore now, is it? But you know what I'm saying. Um, but you, you know what you're going to watch. And, and I've seen quite a few women's games. I'm in touch with a very good friend of mine, Gary Lewin, runs the, he's the manager, not the, the coach, but the manager of the Arsenal ladies team. We talk a lot about it. He and many, many other people in the game are making the most. And for the clubs to say, yeah, we've got an Arsenal team, we've got a Chelsea team, we've got a Manchester United team, Manchester team, and on and on, you know, that, that's the support that matters financially, you know, platform, stadia, facilities, training expertise, and it's getting there, and, and good luck. Yeah, and I will say, and uh, and it, it gives us um, cause for for optimism here. I guess we're just a little impatient that we want to see it grow uh, a, a bit quicker than than it is right now. But it took uh, long enough uh, for it to, to reach the uh, the stage that it is in England. So uh, uh, perhaps uh, just a little more patience, and uh, and uh, it will. Uh, well, we know, as you say, inevitably it will happen. Martin, we better let you go. Um, you're always uh, great with your time and uh, and your uh, observations on uh, the. The state of the game. Um, we uh, we we hope you have a, a great new year, mate. And um, we'll we'll look forward to, to hearing uh, the, what's the next game we, we would anticipate you calling in the in the Premier League. Mate? About thirty six hours time, I think, and seven thirty Thursday our time. So um, you can work that out at your end. Uh, Brighton v Tottenham, and I know you'll all be watching because it's Ange Ball. Excellent. Well, you're one hundred percent right about that, my friend. Stay well, Martin. Take care, guys. Thank you for inviting me on. No worries, Martin Tyler, the great man. Always uh, wonderful here on Box to Box. Okay, stick around and walk up corner next. Willa, willa, willa.
Everybody's gonna buy Hoyt Spices. Everyone's gonna save a dollar or two. Everybody's gonna buy Hoyt Spices, yeah. Guys, Derek, it's not quite feeling like summer, but over summer we love to barbecue. And I love to get the spices out and rub my steaks or my pork or my chicken with a mixture of, of spices to add a little flavour. Have, have you got a personal preference uh, for, for when you reach out for the Hoyt's uh, herbs and spices to, to cook on the on the, uh, the Dyson barbecue? Why, why don't you tell me, Rob? I've actually got two uh, New York strips uh, in the fridge at the moment ready for tomorrow night, so tell me what I should be putting on those. Oh, okay. Well, that's that's easy for me. I start with my four-color peppercorn mix and some of that Hoyt Himalayan rock salt just to get that seasoning. There's the salt first, and just let it sit out and uh, and get to some uh, nice uh, temperature, uh, room temperature that is before you start cooking it. But then I'd make a barbecue spice rub of some turmeric, some paprika, some cumin, a nice Middle Eastern flavor, and a little bit of chili in there as well, and then rub it with olive oil. So those spices are going to make that steak tastes like a, a real Middle Eastern um, authentic uh, piece of beef and I cook it medium rare let it rest for a few minutes and then slice it um, and every every single mouthful is going to taste like a, a taste sensation is that the sort of thing that uh, that you'd go for mate? Mate I'll be straight down to my local supermarket to get those suggestions tomorrow and Edge, um, you've been enjoying your, your spicy meals over there in Bangkok. Um, I know from time to time you've said that the, that the Thai food would be just that little bit better if uh, you could get the Hoyts over there. <laughs> yes, that's right, right. It would be a lot better if we got the Hoyts over here. But they do have quite a few spices. Um, and uh, I saw some people in the, in the street eating some gigantic grasshoppers dipped in uh, fish oil and chilli. Um, mm. Not sure that uh, I would have done that, but they were doing it, Rob. I'm sure the, the, the Hoyt herbs and spices would have made that taste a bit better. <laughs> yeah. I might get out to the garden and find a few myself. Now, remember to refill your empty spice jars with Hoyt's value packs. You'll be happy with Hoyt's when you're cooking your grasshoppers, your beef, whatever it is you're cooking. Get down to Coles, Woolworths, and all good independent supermarkets. Fill those empties with Hoyt's spices, yeah. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yeah, this is Box to Box. We hope you enjoyed uh, that chat with Martin Tyler there. We went a little longer, but I guess we're going to take a break for oh, a couple of weeks now. So uh, maybe you'll split the listen over uh, a few days. I know I tend to do that with some of my favourite podcasts, sort of listen to bits of them and come back to, to them at times. Uh Michael, um, so World Cup corner. Well, there's a world in this first. Uh, well, in the, the the question, the the game that we're going to talk about, the World Club Championship. Uh, um, it pretty much was uh, a one way street in that final from the opening minute, wasn't it? Absolutely. I was looking forward to a contest between uh, Europe and South America. Uh, however, it wasn't really much of a contest. This is the last edition of the seven team. Uh, FIFA Club World Cup um, and um, obviously the next edition in 2025 in the United States will have 32 teams. We'll probably end up, based on this result, if uh, form lines continue, we'll probably end up with an all-European uh, semi and uh, and final. Let's hope we don't, but I'd say basically because this game was all over in the first minute. Listen to this. Picked up here by Nathan Ake, who might be tempted to shoot. Ake with the ball, it's against the post and the rebound is turned in. And Manchester City have the lead. 
inside the opening minute. That's right. Uh, Julian Alvarez, who scored a double, scored in the first minute, chesting a ball in from a rebounded uh, st- uh, off the post. And, and then again in the 88th minute, Nino, um, unfortunately for Fluminense, scored an own goal, uh, a ricochet over the top of the goalkeeper in the 27th minute. And Phil Foden uh, in the 72nd minute. So four goals to nil for Manchester City. Derek, did you feel like uh, it was a contest at any stage or just um, the power, financial power of Premier League football and Manchester City just being too much for the Brazilian and South American champions Fluminense to overcome? I think the latter edge, I worry in a way because I feel like the the gap is only getting bigger and it's because teams like Manchester City can go and raid these um, South American teams. Alvarez, you mentioned before, is, a, is an example uh, of that. Um, already some uh, vultures hanging around looking at the Fluminese team. I think a player called Andre uh, was liked by a lot of them and could be heading to a European club near you uh, at some point in the future. Um, But yeah, I I think even with Manchester City's sort of patchy form in the Premier League, this this in a way was the perfect antidote to that because they could wipe the slate clean. They could come to this tournament and assert themselves. And and yes, as you said, as the uh, the tournament uh, does expand to the 32 teams you do you do wonder how the you know latin american teams or the all the asian teams or the middle eastern teams or even does oceana get one i don't know um how, how they'll all get on so yeah look this is a great one for city it's only important if you're in it it seems for a european club it caps off an amazing calendar year for manchester city with the trophies in the cabinet you know they return to the premier league you know, the fact that Arsenal Liverpool drew means that, you know, whatever that results are over the next few days, they, they won't be that far behind and they'll maybe use uh, a bit of momentum to uh, to uh, to get to get themselves back in it. Haaland will be back and uh, De Bruyne is back as well, sporting what I might say is quite a spiffing haircut. I don't know if anyone likes uh, De Bruyne's new, uh, new hairdo there, but uh, yeah, he's got a fresh look. He certainly does have a fresh look, but uh, I mean, in the in the backdrop of the European Super League, uh, in the context around um, the expanding Club World Cup, you know, we, we might have the same teams playing off for the Champions League, the Super League, and uh, the Club World Cup, uh, which would be uh, a bit boring and highly highly disappointing. So let's just hope this uh, form line doesn't continue, and the um, clubs outside of Europe can um, somehow muster up enough uh, talent and skill to compete. Yep, well said. Um, it, uh, it's a good theory uh, in prospect, but um, but it, we, I don't think we've ever seen it reach its, its capacity uh, uh, just yet. Uh, so hopefully this new format will uh, will make a difference to that. All right, guys, uh, we are going to drop a different edition of Stoppage Time this week. We're going to make a few sort of observations on what we've seen on 2023 and look ahead to some predictions for 2024 but um yeah so we'll we'll we'll, we'll postpone our, our our new year uh, wishes until until then so uh, edge thanks again for uh, for a good chat this week mate we'll see you uh, when we do stoppage time in a couple of days look forward to that rob thank you derek thanks gents Excellent. And Adam Maloney, our very good friend wishing him and his family uh, all the best for what was uh, 
Christmas past and uh, before we do our uh, our uh, our Happy New Year's when we, we have our, our stoppage time chat. So to you out there who are listening, please uh, review us wherever you listen to your favourite shows and make sure you subscribe to Box to Box Stoppage Time and Offside. Tweet us at Box to Box and follow us on X. Like us on Facebook and join us throughout the week as our podcast drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.